You're listening to the McKinsey and Insurance podcast. In this series, we feature experts who discuss trends, disruptions, and strategies that are reshaping the insurance industry as we know it today. My name is Henri de Condeneve. I'm a partner with McKinsey based in Paris. I'm really excited to convene a cast of colleagues, Ramnath Balasubramanian, senior partner based in New York, Pierre-Ignace Bernard, senior partner based in Paris, and Bernard Kotenko, senior partner based in Singapore. Today, we're going to discuss the first chapter of the McKinsey 2023 Global Insurance Report, which all of us have worked on. This research and analysis offers a deep level of granularity and recommendations for how insurers can accelerate growth and exceed their performance targets. The report is obviously available now on McKinsey.com. Please search for Global Insurance Report 2023. We've seen that the life and retirement industry has experienced increasing instability. What are the forces at play that will shape the industry going forward? Thank you, Henri. There are several forces which we believe will shape the industry going forward. One among them is an increasing awareness of personal risk and security. Coming out of the pandemic, there's been a heightened awareness and concern about both personal health as well as personal savings and financial security. To put some numbers in perspective, the total number of people above the age of 65 is expected to double over the next 30 years, from around 0.8 billion today to 1.7 billion over the next 30 years. A large part of that growth is going to come from developing economies like India and China, but the developed economies will also continue to comprise a very significant part of that population. You know, many citizens are realizing that they are going to be personally responsible for both healthcare as well as retirement savings, as a number of government-provided social security programs are dealing with very high levels of indebtedness. You know, for example, some of the social security programs in the most advanced economies in the world. We estimate that there's close to a 41 trillion pension funding gap which exists across these government social security programs. And that gap can only be met by the private sector. And our view is that represents a huge opportunity for the life and retirement industry to meet these needs of citizens globally. The other big force which will shape the industry over the next few years is the macroeconomic environment, in particular interest rates. And as we all know, this industry has seen a decade-long era of ultra-low interest rates. And that's put a lot of pressure on life insurance balance sheets. In the last six months, we've seen the opposite phenomenon, where interest rates have actually risen by up to 300 basis points across a number of markets and countries. Now, while the increase in nominal interest rates do provide a tailwind in the near term for life insurers, particularly as they're able to rebalance the asset side of the portfolio quicker than what they have on the guarantees on the liability side of the portfolio, there are a few important considerations they also need to keep in mind. One is you're dealing with an extremely volatile economic environment in terms of equity market and credit market volatility. And that's going to increase both return expectations from investors as cost of capital goes up, as well as financial costs such as hedging. Two is, as you see a difficult economic environment, you'll also likely see an increase in credit deterioration and ratings migration. And as a result, life insurers will need to rebalance the investment side of the portfolio. 
And the last point we'd like to make is that, you know, while nominal interest rates have increased, the reality is that real interest rates have continued to be low as inflation has also kind of, you know, outpaced the growth of nominal interest rates. And we expect this trend to structurally continue over the next several years as the working age population continues to decline and there's a high level of correlation between real interest rates and the working age population. As a result, I think a number of things for life insurers to think about going forward. Thanks a lot, Ram. That's very clear. Maybe switching to you, Bernard, any other forces that you perceive to be really relevant, especially with your Asian lens? Yeah, thank you, Henri. And building on what Ramnath said, maybe two aspects, one very much focused on the global level and then one more specifically to the role of Asia on the global insurance stage. Let me start with technology. Insurance and life insurance is an information business. And over the past years, while there have been a lot of investments into technology and we have seen IT spend actually grow from 2% of gross premium to 3%, so an increase by 50%, we feel we are just on the cusp of a new era for life insurance to really harvest the power of data, analytics, and also digital customer engagement. So this is central and will enable insurers, if they are successful, to really find different ways to address this big need, which Ramnat has alluded to, and find also more efficient ways to engage and operate. So that is central and that is a force that we will see even stronger in the years to come. Now, let me shift to Asia and the rise of Asia. That has, of course, been discussed in many different situations. We see the macroeconomic shift. And we should say that despite any uh, geopolitical context, Asian economies and societies will continue to grow. And let me call out specifically the role of the middle class. Of course, the middle class is central for life insurers. It is where the savings ratios reach a level that people invest in life insurance, where they are concerned about protecting their families. They are able to do the retirement savings, which Ramnath alluded to. And we see that in Asia, that number will grow to about 1.2 billion people by 2030. So it will be the largest force on the consumer side for life insurance. Thanks a lot, Bernard. Maybe switching to you, Kenya. So we've seen that the industry has faced tremendous forces. Looking back, how has the industry performed in this environment? How has it been? Well, the truth is that the performance of the industry over the last couple of decades have been lackluster. If you look at growth, for example, we have seen significantly lower nominal growth of the industry activity versus the GDP. Looking at the US, for example, and Europe, we have a two percentage point average gap over the last couple of decades of premium growth versus GDP growth. The delta in Asia and Japan is an astonishing 7% gap, so much slower growth than GDP growth. The second observation, we have seen pretty weak productivity development over the last couple of decades compared to what we've witnessed elsewhere in other service industry, the life insurance industry has not been able to deliver productivity gains, and that shows in the development of their cost base. And no surprise, the outcome of that is the industry has overall struggled to generate returns in excess to the cost of capital. And when we look at market caps over the long term, they have been depressed. The cumulative market cap of the top 20 life insurers in the US 40 years ago was quite close to the cumulative 
market cap of the top 20 banks in the US. And today, it's only one-sixth. Obviously, these are averages, and we all know that there have been certain markets doing better than others, and certain players are more successful than others. Thanks a lot, Pierre. Yes, and you're right. I mean, as part of the report, we have identified that value pools and sources of value creation also across the industry were not homogeneous, and that this was really shifting. Bernard, how are these sources shifting over time? What do you see here? It's critical to look into the individual value pools, and that is for every life insurer most central. And importantly, that's not just across geographies, but also within a geography. So if we take the US, it's interesting that products that provide principal protection with some upside based on market performance have really actually done well. And over the same period, more you know, market-oriented annuity products have struggled. So I think that's just one example in the US. We see in Europe, again, over, of course, the recent years when equity markets were strong, that unit linked in several markets, including France, have grown substantially, whereas general accounts suffered. We will see over the coming years with the current capital markets turmoil if the trend changes. But it's more to highlight that really it's important to look product by product in each market. Similarly, in Asia, the picture is on the product side, of course, where we saw For example, health-related products, critical illness is very important, but also geographic. Geographic, we have seen China, India as the big growth hotspots and value creation opportunities driven by the macroeconomic underlying. But we also see that some of the Southeast Asian markets really have high dynamic. Beyond the product and market mix, it's important that we see a shift in value creation to investment alpha. And that relates back to what Ramnath said in the beginning of our discussion It is important that despite the nominal tailwinds, we expect actually low for long real rates. And in that environment, it is critical that insurers shift also more to generating investment alpha. So that is important. And then the third one I would highlight is indeed portfolio restructuring. We see that many insurers still aspire to be the global insurer. And I see this here in Asia with many insurers having quite mixed portfolios, actually, and struggling how to really trim those portfolios for value creation. And what we expect is that that pressure will increase in order to really demonstrate how does your portfolio create value and is a source of growth. Thanks a lot, Bernard. And I think the point on portfolio restructuring in particular was particularly insightful because that's also a trend that we see across the globe where we have a lot of new entrants new sources of capital that are really coming into the industry. Maybe Ramnat on that front, like what do you see as the big structural changes that are happening to the industry? Thanks, Andre. You know, one of the big trends we are seeing over the last decade is the emergence of private capital, in particular platforms which have been owned by some of the private asset and alternative asset managers. You know, there are a number of reasons why private capital finds the life insurance industry attractive. As Pierinias mentioned, you know, the industry's performance has been disappointing. The returns have been below cost of capital. Uh, productivity improvements have really not taken shape. And that provides an opportunity for someone else to actually come in and drive the performance improvement and drive up the return trajectory of some of the individual companies. In addition, a lot of the alternative asset managers and private capital see life insurance as a source of permanent capital. You know, sticky, stable pool of long-dated liabilities 
which can do be deployed into a number of different asset strategies, everything from traditional fixed income to more structured products and alternatives. And for these alternative asset managers, what that does is that reduces the fundraising burden which they typically have to go through, as well as create more predictable sources of fee income. As a result, you're seeing a phenomenon today where in the US, for example, platforms owned by private capital comprise nearly 9% of all the assets in the industry. And that number was less than 1% a decade back. But not only are they playing an important role in terms of some of these legacy liabilities which they are acquiring through M&A from the traditional insurers, they're also starting to play a very important role in terms of new business. If you look at a category uh, like fixed indexed annuities, which has been growing significantly in North America, today private capital owned insurers account for close to 40% of all the market share in fixed indexed annuities, and they're growing much significantly faster than the market. These insurers also provide investment management solutions to the industry. So in many ways, this category of insurers is now playing a very significant role in terms of industry structure. The second big structural shift we see is in terms of how distribution is evolving. Again, just to put some numbers in perspective, if you look at the market cap of pure play distribution companies relative to life insurers, the total shareholder returns of pure play distribution companies has been close to two and a half times that of traditional life insurers. And many of them trade at price to earnings multiples, which are two and a half times that of traditional life insurers. So you're seeing, to Bernard's point, a consistent shift in value towards distribution. You're also seeing a phenomenon where value is and premiums are shifting from traditional tied captive career distribution to more and more of independent distribution. In the US, for example, independent distribution now accounts for close to 55% of all premiums across life insurers as well as annuities. And you're seeing similar trend lines take shape both in Europe as well as in Asia, although from a smaller base. Very clear on that. So what you're mentioning is basically the fact that the industry is facing a real inflection point. I mean, with new trends coming, like value shifting towards distribution. I mean, how can the carriers today reimagine their operating model to face such an environment? Henri, you said it right. In the context which the insurance industry finds itself today, evolution will not be enough. It will require a, a fundamental rethink and reimagination of the business model. If you look at the traditional model today, most life insurers do all activities across the business system and the value chain. And you know, are average at best across most, if not all activities in the value chain. You're also seeing a phenomenon as we described earlier, where customer needs are converging across health, wealth, retirement, and investment management. As a result, our perspective is that in the future, life insurers will need to think about a business model which is simpler, narrower, and more focused, and in many ways, unbundles the value chain and bundles products. Let me just describe what that means and maybe give some practical examples of how that could work. We see four different types of business models which could emerge, which could be the basis of value creation in the future. One business model is what we would call distribution specialists. These are business models which primarily focus on 
client-centric approach and making available a range of different insurance, wealth and investment management and health products to end clients through an open architecture approach. These business models will typically invest a lot in client-facing technology. And by design, they're extremely capital light as they don't take on any of the balance sheet risk and are typically valued on metrics like organic growth as well as operating margin. A second business model is what we would call product origination specialists. You know, these are business models where the insurer has strong capabilities on product design, risk assessment, and underwriting, will have privileged access to distribution. It could be their own distribution or it could be third-party distribution, but will typically have constraints in terms of balance sheet and capital and or investment management capabilities. And hence, in this case, they will largely rely on originating the product using the distribution and product development capabilities, but use someone else's capabilities on the balance sheet side as well as on the investment management side. So in many ways, they're creating a more traditional capital intensive model to a relatively capital light model where you're getting a combination of some balance sheet as well as fee-based earning streams. We think a number of publicly traded insurers may have to gravitate towards this model, just given investor demands and expectations in terms of how the business models are going to evolve. The third model is what we would call balance sheet specialists. This is in many ways a complement of the product origination model. These business models will typically not have the individual distribution capabilities and access, but will have very strong weighted balance sheet very strong investment management capabilities and robust risk management capabilities, and therefore will provide solutions to a number of the other insurance companies. And these solutions could be through legacy book transfer of M&A, or it could be through flow reinsurance and other types of solutions. And we see a number of privately owned insurers gravitating towards this model. And finally, there will be a handful of what we would call truly integrated insurers. And we say a handful because the bar on distinctiveness is going to be really high in terms of demonstrating that they can actually be distinctive in terms of distribution, in terms of product development and risk management, capital position, investment management, as well as having robust operations and technology. And we think there will be a few insurers who will actually have the bar to be a fully integrated insurer in the future. The industry is quite heterogeneous. And so we can imagine that different players will probably face different challenges and probably also adopt distinctive strategic postures. Pianias, how do you see this unfolding for some of the players? Yes, you're right, Henry. I think each insurer will come with their own set of challenges and opportunities. But if we try to have a sort of broad look across large categories, I think starting with the stock traded insurers, First of all, they will have to be extremely clear on what is their unique competitive advantage and make sure that they protect and strengthen this competitive advantage. It could be being dominant in certain geographies, being great in certain line of business or part of the value chain. Second, they would probably have to selectively address potential to create more value. For example, building a partnership with others to achieve state-of-the-art investment management capabilities, in private assets, private debt, or it could be to try to convey to the market the value of their portfolio of growth opportunities. 
we see that stock traded insurers usually are seen as or expected to deliver very regular results and their growth potential is not always properly valued and there is probably an opportunity to do and improve that lens on their business. Shifting to PE-owned operators, they would probably have to develop new growth vectors above and beyond the legacy M&A levers that they've been using. It could be via geographic expansion, it could be via stronger organic growth capabilities. And in addition to that, they might think about different levers to create value above and beyond the investment alpha that has been a core to their proposition in the last decade. They could, for example, reinvest the technology and operations where they could also make a difference. So these are just two snapshots on stock-traded insurers and PE-owned. But Bernard, what do you think about mutuals and state-owned insurers? Thank you, Pierre-Ignace. And, and I'm really happy that in our report, we also looked specifically at mutuals and state-owned insurers because they are in many geographies a core pillar of the life insurance industry. Let me start with the mutuals. The mutuals' strength is really in their reputation, in their customer loyalty, and the strong captive distribution. They typically have lower cost of capital, and they, in some markets, have really the potential for operational efficiency at scale. They take a very holistic approach to customer needs and also to their role in society. And all of this really speaks to the core principle of what insurance is about. As they look towards the future, there are many strengths mutuals can build upon. Where we see uh, specific opportunities and also needs for action is around how to further innovate the product offering how to potentially also specialize and in what areas to really find distinctive competitive advantages. Some mutuals also have a challenge on operational efficiency and really need to bring down costs in order to ensure competitiveness and customer service. And finally, it's critical for mutuals to also further think about their distribution models. As mentioned, many are very strong in a traditional captive advisor network but need to develop partnerships on the digital side go into affinity networks and foster new forms of connecting with peers. For state-owned insurers, again, in many countries, it is state-owned insurers that play a critical role. And here we talk about the bridge between public social services and the private life insurance sector. They typically also have a strength in distribution, typically are, are big national champions. They benefit from a lower cost of capital. And they have the ability to really make long-term investments for their role in society. Where they are really seeing a need for action is in innovation. They really need to get to the forefront and leapfrog on digital innovation. And there they really need to keep up the pace with the private sector. And finally, we often see that state-owned insurers, often for the wrong reasons, have a disadvantage in the talent market. And they need to really look for their positioning to attract the talent for the future. So both are very important business models, and I think that is part of the exciting element of the life insurance industry, that you have very different models competing in that sector uh, for the benefit of customers and hopefully for a more resilient society. Henri, back to you. Yeah, thanks a lot, Bernard. I think that was an amazing uh, conclusion of our discussion. So Bernard, Pierre Ignace, Ramnath, really, I wanted to thank you for the really great discussion that we had on the state of the industry and for sharing your expertise. I'd also like to thank our listeners for engaging with us and for reading the report, which is available as a reminder on mckinsey.com. Thank you all. <laughs>